Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, pod people, and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the movie podcast where two films with something in common go head-to-head to figure out which one does it better. Unless it's neither of them, in which case, we've got a problem. On Monday's episode, we had a curry that was hot as hell thanks to Ridley Scott's legend. And today we're watching Wicket Warwick play Willow in Willow. My children found this baby alone by the river. This child is special. This baby will not destroy me. Find the child! Time is running out. Elora Dunham has chosen you to be her guardian. Me? You need a warrior for a job like this. I'm a nobody. So which movie will be declared the winner? You'll find out in about an hour on Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Chris Tilly. I'm Vicky Crompton. And Alex is away again, but promise, 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 he'll be back next week so you can have an actual professional do this bit. But before then, some business, as this is the part of the show where I read out a review written by one of you lovely people, and we're back in America with a write-up from Purple Lotus 13 entitled The Best Film Podcast Around. Clash of the Titles is the only podcast I'm totally committed to. I've listened to every single episode since the beginning. Now, I love a lot of podcasts, but there are no others I can say that about. It's funny, it's charming, it's well-researched, usually. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) And it's bloody interesting. Uh, Vicky is always insightful and has an infectious laugh. Her what would you change section is always brilliant. Oh, that's um, nice. yeah, she's not listened to the legend episode yet. Um, Chris brings the encyclopedic knowledge and keeps the forward momentum going. So that's what I've got going for I me. I think that is true, actually. Forward yeah. momentum. And Alex kicks up the energy with his jokes and banter. And it's obvious all three truly love film. One last thing. I don't care what Chris says. The bit of small talk at the beginning is gold. 
it lets your <laughs> listeners get to know you three better. Well, Vicky and Alex anyway. Yeah. And the three of you together is what makes the podcast really special. Keep it up, y'all. If I can, I'll buy you all a round of th- or three someday. It's the least I can do for all the last you've bought me. Cheers. Five out of five. Sold. Yes, please. So, uh, small talk. How yeah. are you doing, Vicky? I'm really well, thank Good. You, Back Chris. to the movies. <laughs> on Monday, Vicky was a legend, meaning today I'm chopping down Willow. You're so let robot. me take you on a journey. <laughs> in the mid-1980s, having spent the best part of a decade working in a galaxy far, far away, George Lucas wanted to do something different. So he came up with Willow, the tale of a farmer wanting more from life who definitely isn't Luke Skywalker, embarking on an adventure with a handsome scoundrel who is nothing like Han Solo. They team up with a princess who just happens to be the daughter of the villain, so not Princess Leia, (laughs) as well as a pair of bickering sidekicks who bear little resemblance to a specific pair of droids. (laughs) And they ultimately bring down the Sorcerer Supreme with magic, which is nothing like using the Force to defeat Darth Vader. (laughs) And that's Willow, which is what George Lucas did to move on from Star Wars. <laughs> well, you've got a thing. You've got a thing, haven't you? <laughs> when did you first see this, Vicky? I have only seen it once before, mm-hmm. and it was when I was a student, and it was one of those days, you know, uh, either hangover or or whatever else. And it was around the time it was. So the people I lived with, Willow and the Princess Bride, were really cherished by them. So of, of those childhood films, they loved the Princess Bride, they loved Willow, and I loved the Neverending Story. So we would just mm. put, one of those would go on at some point mm. every week. Um, and so that's when I saw it. And the people I was with loved it to death. And that really, you know, that helped me. And and yeah, I was interested to watch it again. I forgot how long it is, which is annoying. Mm. But yeah, you know, it's it's um, it's much beloved and cherished, isn't it? Surprised you didn't see it at the cinema. Um, yeah, me too. I did. And I'm pretty sure I thought it was a bit boring. Right. Uh, and I've caught bits and pieces of it, but never rewatched it in its entirety until this week. Um, has my opinion changed? Who can say? Oh, wait, mm. we can on a podcast. Yeah, not yet, though. No, save it. <laughs> um, so behind the scenes, um, George Lucas came up with the idea in about 1973. When he was thinking about Star Wars. Uh, yes, yeah. when he was thinking about Star Wars. Um, I could do it here uh, or I could do it here. Yes, I mean, <laughs> he does talk about these similarities. He says and there's, a num- there's a number of well-known mythological situations for a young audience and I'm going to tap them all. Or one, uh, twice. <laughs> Uh, it was called Munchkins originally. Oh, no. that's so bad. glad that, that changed. Sounds like a nursery. But um, he has acknowledged these similarities to Star Wars. He says the underlying issues, the psychological motives in all my movies have been the same: personal responsibility and friendship, the importance of a compassionate life as opposed to a passionate life. Oh, that's nice. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, what's wrong with a passionate life? Gets into trouble, Chris. Rock and roll. <laughs> uh, but in spite of the fact he was George Lucas, he found it tough to get it financed as so many of these fantasy films flopped. Uh, you've got Kral, Dragon Slayer, Lady Hawk, a film called Legend. Mm. Um, so Lucas co-financed the film himself um, with MGM. He's one of the only filmmakers who does that. Yeah, He did that with Phantom Menace. I think he funded Phantom Menace entirely himself. Mm. Uh Probably should have got someone overseeing that. Um, <laughs> Never bet the house. And he asked, com- no, he made a fortune. <laughs> he no, was he, fine. Yes, he made yeah. a fortune. It just was Despite terrible. Despite the film. <laughs> um, he asked comedy writer Bob Dolman to script it because he couldn't do it all himself, apparently. He said that was beyond one person's ability to control everything. And that's an interesting thing with George Lucas. He wants to have complete control over every aspect of the filmmaking, but he doesn't want to always direct. Yeah, you know he only he didn't direct Empire Strikes Back, he didn't direct Return of the Jedi. Um, so for this one, he asked an old friend, Ron Howard, to direct. 
But it's interesting watching the behind the scenes videos because they are talking on set and they are disagreeing. They're not full on arguing, but it's almost like um, George Lucas is second guessing him and basically telling him how it should be done. That is jarring, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's upsetting to watch. Yeah. Um, they shot most of it in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, but like a film that came along a few years later, um, they shot the most spectacular scenes in New Zealand. Right. So Peter Jackson was obviously paying attention because I, I, there are similarities, not just plot-wise with Lord of the Rings. Some of the, some of the visuals do look similar as well. Um, he told Warwick Davis about this project in 1983 when Warwick was just a little boy mm. uh, playing Wicket on uh, Return of the Jedi. And then three years later, Warwick was on holiday in Cornwall when he was invited to a meeting with George Lucas and Ron Howard at Elstree. Um, Ron Howard did not want him at first because of his age. He was 17. Mm. Uh, So he had to audition four times. Um, Then he was flown to LA to audition opposite a bunch of mad martigans. Uh, He remembers doing opposite uh, Matt Frewer, Mm. Max Headroom, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Uh, John Cusack. Okay. Who I could see doing that. I could see doing that. And... um, Val Kilmer, who he said he Val just immediately looked the part. Yeah. Um, and Warwick got the part as well. And he said it was exciting to not be behind a mask for the first time mm-hmm. in a film. And Lucas has talked about the fact that his previous films were about the little guy against the system. He made it literal here. He did. By making it about little people against the system. Um, though I think Lord of the Rings got there first with telling the story about little people <laughs> fighting the big monsters. But um, it is great to see him casting uh, these actors in the leads rather than under latex. For a lot of them, yeah. this was a big moment because it was the first time their friends and family could see them in a film. It's also been called the dawn of digital filmmaking and Lucas considers this a huge breakthrough, um, but we'll cross that photorealistic bridge when we come to it. Mm. That's it in terms of background. You great. got anything else, Vicky? I do not. Let's talk about the movie, starting with... The prophecy. <laughs> so, uh, we are told, is it a time of dread? Uh, seers have foretold the birth of a child who will bring about the downfall of the powerful Queen Bathmorda. Like Jesus. Seizing all pregnant women in the realm, the evil queen vows to destroy the child when it is born. Like Herod. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, so we've got, we've got the Pharaoh Moses thing going on here. Yeah. But also, this was recently in the plot of a different film that we have covered on... I mean, recently in 1988 on this podcast. What? Dead babies? Yeah, killing children. I can't remember. He ends up in Tibet. It's a comedy. Oh, The Golden Child. Exactly. Yay! Just two years before. Oh, yeah. Real similarities there. Also, when we were talking about Super Mario Brothers, this was a plot line in that. I wonder if this is one of the reasons that was dropped. Yeah. Um, Because they were were killing all the babies of plumbers. (laughs) Sorry, that is not funny. I want to talk about the making of (laughs) Super Mario again. But, I mean, kicking off with infanticide is bold. I think it's good. Well, it's obviously biblical, um, but it's good old evil, isn't it? Proper dark stuff to kick Mm. you off. I like like it very much. Okay, good, good. Um, So uh, the midwife um, escapes uh, with uh, the baby in question, who we later learn is called Elora Danan. Uh, we learn ki- that many times because they always use their full name, which I appreciate because I use people's full names constantly. But I've never, ref- I or even to Mark, who knows you very, I always say Chris Tilly, Chris Tilly, constantly. Can't help myself. Okay, I know. I don't know why it is. So I liked it. I've got some. I've got some good name stuff coming up later with Laura Dunan. But um, they kill her mother. Uh, the Queen does, and this Queen is played by Jean Marsh. Yes, who I've written is the scary B word from Return to Oz. <laughs> I hadn't realised that, but this is in the same 12 months, I think. Right. And have you seen Return to Oz? No, I've heard <gasps> about it. 
I mean, she's scary here, but she's scarier there. She this woman is very this... good at terrifying. Yeah. And I'd like us to do Return to Oz. What? You had a brilliant idea for what to put it with. Wizard of Oz? No, it was because that, that obviously... <laughs> Shut up, Chris, Tilly. <laughs> Let's just do it with Wizard of Oz. Um, the midwife sticks the baby in a boat made of reeds and then um, devil dogs appear. Those dogs are great. They kill her. Yeah, they do. They ravage her. Uh, you, I think the version... I'm taking you... You watch this on Disney Plus. Yes. Uh, you see her basically getting ravaged. Yeah. When it was released in England, you didn't see that. They cut that. It's too much for us. Yes. Uh, the Americans got it. We didn't. We get it now. Yeah. Uh, Rottweilers in masks. Oh, really? God, yes. that's fucking terrifying. It is a little I'm bit, isn't it? shitless of Rottweilers. Yeah, I guess there were a lot of horrible Rottweiler stories when we were young. They're, they're just, they're just they're dogs. Just, they're just dogs. They're just they're dogs. Nice animals, but we would, but... Yeah, you are taught that that's going to that's mm. gonna bite your face it was, off. It was literally the only thing on the news in the late 80s. It was, and dog poo, yeah. yeah dog Mind poo. the poo and yes. also they will kill you. Yeah. Right, section two, the call to adventure, or, or one of the many. One of the um, many. Allura rocks up to a village called Nelwyn where we meet uh, Willow Ufgood uh, and his weird accent. It is weird. What is it? So uh, he did have someone come in and train him to speak mid-Atlantic. They didn't want him to use his English accent, which I think is a shame. It would have made no difference to the film. I wouldn't have sat there going, oh, he's English, they're American. That makes Uh, no sense. (laughs) But they wanted him to be sort of Transatlantic, sort of Northern America, uh, Northern English, American, whatever. So he's mid-Atlantic. Fine. Um, it's a bit strange. Um, Warwick Davis is 17 years old here yeah. and he's got two kids. Uh-huh. Uh, they're not babies. No. Um, I estimate he's been shagging from the age of 10. <laughs> I would say so, yes. Uh, a bit weird. I mean, yeah, he's and the ki- yeah. How old are the kids? Like four or five? Mm, a bit older than that, I'd say. I don't no, know. one of a little bit older than that. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's funny because he does. Warwick Davis does look very young as well. It's not mm. like I don't know. Seventeen. You could have said nineteen, and I would have believed you. But you could have said I don't know. It's mm. he seems very young. Uh, but this is the reason Ron Howard didn't want him. Yeah. Uh, but him and his family fall in love with this baby, uh, and you would do because. My it's, God. It's wearing a tiny ginger wig. This is, is it a wig? Yes. Thank God. Yes. Uh, and they attached it with uh, food syrup because they couldn't use glue. This poor, it's I a mean, baby. It's a, it blows my head off like baby casting because this these two, they're twins, as they often are. Mm. And the pair of them are movie stars. Yes. They're absolutely incredible. As we said on Monday, best actors in the film. Definitely. But also, <laughs> when I saw the baby, I was like, that baby's wearing a wig. I hope, but only because it just made me a bit like, why my baby's always like, like hairless freaks until they're like three years old. But imagine being that baby and you've got this sticky thing on your head mm-hmm. and then you just cry constantly, Should I imagine. Cast me, I was born hairy as a monkey. <laughs> um, yeah, they use syrup to stick it on, which is cockney rhyming slang for wig. It's not. Yeah, syrup is wig. Why? Um, oh God, I've forgotten this. I did syrup. know this. You do not know this, but it's just... no. It, Okay, syrup is weak. Um, <laughs> I'll take a word I've for forgotten it. why. I've forgotten why, and I didn't know this. Sticky. No, it was. It's something weird, which is why I've forgotten it. Okay. Um, I'll tell you by the end. All right. In a bit where you're talking. Um, <laughs> head to a carnival in town, which is shot at Brockett Hall, just outside London. Right. Um, this is the largest gathering of little people ever for a film is at it? the time. Yeah, even more than more than Wizard of Oz. Uh, Willow's doing magic badly. Yeah. The high old win arrives, played by. Billy Barty. Billy Barty, yes. Everyone's in awe, which all these dwarf actors were, because he is the most famous small actor, and mm. so and he's really good. He has real presence. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, and he's head of a council that Willow appears in front of. He wants to be an apprentice. He fails again. 
Uh, and then the devil dogs attack. Yeah, and so Willow's daughter, the oh Mims. My oh my God, it's terrifying. Her crying. Yeah, it's real. It's it's so scary and sad. Apart from the baby, that's the best acting in the dog. Yeah, in in the in the film. But Tony Cox from Bad Santa does stab a dog. <laughs> you recognise him? Yeah, I do. I want him to swear. <laughs> um, there's a council scene now, and there's just some interesting behind the scenes stuff here. Um, I, I watched the film with the commentary on that Warwick Davis does, and he says he points out an actress in the background in, with in a blue dress. And he said, I didn't meet her that day, but that woman became my wife. Oh, that's nice. Um, and even his father-in-law, her dad, is in the scene. So it's a real family thing, but they didn't know each other. But also a character um, shouts out, who'll do that mm-hmm. in this council scene? That is Kenny Baker. Who's that? Of Star Wars fame. What is he in Star Wars? He's a droid. Oh, is he? He's oh, little, sorry. <laughs> he's a little droid. Yeah. Um, and although he's in... Uh, Maybe a dozen uh, George Lucas movies. Yeah. This is the only time he has a line of his own. Oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah, so this is quite a historic moment for, for young Kenny. Yeah, I don't recognise him without his um, casing yeah. on. Oh, he's the best. Yeah. Um, so the council says the baby must be taken to a crossroads for some reason or other. No idea. So they assemble a fellowship. Um, give Willow some magic acorns. And some hair. And so, some hair. Yeah. A ponytail. Yes, a, a lock, a braid. Yes. Um, which I, I like it, but I think it's a bit of a shame it detracts from the significance of the acorns because it's like, take these acorns, believe in yourself. Take my hair, believe in yourself. Yeah, but um, the acorns, Yeah, I feel like they shouldn't be magic. I feel like he should think they're magic. I 100% but, yeah. thought they weren't at all magic. And I still think they might not be because by the time he uses them, he's supposed to have a bit more self-belief. So I think they probably are just acorns. Okay. I don't know. Oh, no. I like that reading much better yeah. uh, than mine. Um, and so now we're into the actual adventure. Um, so we've got the dwarves marching through forests and past waterfalls, which is all very Lord of the Rings. Really beautiful visuals here. Uh, the Queen sends her daughter, Saoirse, played by Joanne Wally, and General Kale. Uh, plays by Raiders of the Lost Ark's Pat Roach. Do you remember? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. He, you know, remember who he is in Pat Roach? In, in Raiders, sorry? He is. No. So he is. Well, he has several roles in, in, in the Indian Jones movies, but he is uh, the Nazi that gets punched into the plane propeller. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And he, he's in all of the Indian Jones movies playing different thugs different that has fights. I, I think he yeah. might be the swordman as well that he shoots as well okay. in, in Raiders. But um, yes, uh, and we talked about this. I think it was on the Temple of Doom episode. Yeah. So uh, America's most famous critic, Pauline Kael, yeah. did not like Raiders. Uh, sorry, Temple of Doom. Yes. And so George Lucas named the character General Kale. Oh, we did talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Petty bullshit. Stupid. <laughs> uh, it's... Childish, immature. Yeah. Uh, but it's th- funny at first, and then after day 84 of the shoot, it's not yes. funny anymore. No, not good, George. And there's more of this later on, more of this stupidity. Uh, but they're charged with finding the baby so they can exile the child spirit into oblivion. Uh, our gang, our, our fellowship, reach the crossroads and find Mag Martigan, hmm. played by Val Kilmer. He's in a cage. He claims he's the greatest swordsman who ever lived. He's got really dirty teeth. He has, and they get cleaned up. I thought he was going to keep the dirty teeth. Yeah. Because it's more representative yes. of his lifestyle. But the minute he needs to be handsome, his teeth are sorted. It, you, and I, I checked this the second time. You do actually see him cleaning them. I, I, thought, I thought it was magical Hollywood nonsense, <laughs> but he's wiping them. He's wiping them uh, in the morning because most of the fellowship leave, and I don't blame them as we spend too much time at these crossroads. Yeah. Um, Mad Martigan calls Willow 
a peck mm. several times, which I think is racist insults. Mm. Um, Warwick Davis says that don't call me a peck is what he's asked to say the most by people who come up to him. Oh, OK. Don't call me a peck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they end up staying overnight. So for morning, he's washing his teeth. I just don't know why this is lasting so long. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of horses come um, trotting by. Uh, I say trotting, running. Um, and if you watch this scene, one of them really nearly hits Warwick Davis. Oh, really? He's supposed to jump out of the way, but it comes much closer than it could have. Um, we could have had a fatality on this set. Um, but Willow frees Mad Martigan and gives him the baby. Yeah. Um, and the baby smiles. <laughs> The baby smiles. Oh my god! Um, syrup and fig wig. I nearly said syrup and fig, but not for any other reason than it rhymes with wig. Syrup and fig. I Um, think you've made that up. No, that's a fact. Um, Because the only syrups in the world are made of figs. There we go. Um, (laughs) Mad Martigan. Yeah, he's not very mad, is he? No, he's not. I feel like you've got to be a bit eccentric. Yeah. A bit nuts. <clears throat> He's quite impulsive, maybe. I suppose um, so. I think he needs more of more edge. Yeah. I think when he comes out of here, he should betray them or he should be nasty or difficult at first because... He's instantly all right. He's yeah. instantly. He, ne- he never... We're told he's a thief and a bit of a villain and yep. a scoundrel, a bit more of a Han Solo type, but... He never does anything really bad, does he? He does what he's told and does what he's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So when he's passing the baby over, um, uh, Warwick Davis says the baby's name, Laura Danan. But they realised in post-production he doesn't know the baby's name yet. So he had to dub Little One over ADR. Um, uh, Brownies appear now. Uh, Still the baby. They capture Willow and his mate. They tie him up and drag him away and it all becomes very Gulliver's travel. Mm. So the Brownies. um, Hate them. Yes. They feel like they're from a Monty Python film. Yeah. But not a funny one. I mean... And they're they're, they're there. They're bickering like uh, the the droids in Star Wars and they're sort of narrating stuff as well like the the droids in Star Wars do. Um, They're just awful. They are, aren't they? I thought I was just being unkind. I, I, I remember not liking them the first time. Yeah. And I was in a good mood when I watched this and I wasn't just like, oh, fuck off, but... I just found, I, you know, I like a comedy double act and I understand they're there for comic relief and I get all of that. And I like C-3PO and R2-D2's thing, but I just found these two, it just didn't work for me. I don't know what it is. I just don't enjoy it. And I wish they would go away. Yeah, they're played by Rick Overton and Kevin Pollack, who are both dabbled in comedy. They've done some stand-up and stuff, but it just does new work here. Mm. Uh, Fairy Queen appears and orders them to be freed. Um, this is when we learn the baby's um, Laura Danan and must survive to fulfil her destiny, which I'm guessing is what, in part, this new TV show on Disney Plus is going to be about. Oh, nice. With Warwick Davis. Okay. In, because, I mean, that would make sense. She's all grown up. Yes. Um, but she gives Willow a great wand and sends him to find an enchantress called Finn uh, Raziel. Yeah. Um, so this is sort of a side mission now. Yeah. Uh, But before we get that side mission, let's take a break. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. 
Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And we're back with the first of our side missions. So Willow is heading to a mysterious island um, all all on his own. Um, But first, he pops into a pub for some milk. (laughs) Have you ever done that, Vicky? No, because I don't drink glasses of milk. It's for the baby. It's for the baby. I would do it for a baby. You'd go into a pub. And ask for some free milk. Okay. Yeah, and then they're inside the pub and uh, Kevin Pollock's character takes a love potion and falls in love with a cat. I hated that. Agreed. Um, we find Mad Martigan, who's been shagging a married woman. He's been shagging a married woman. And he and dresses up as a woman. Dressed up as a woman so that her husband, Lug, um, Lug arrives and him. wants to, yeah, wants, he wants him not to kill him, but then Lug wants to bang him. Yes. But which the... he makes clear by saying, want to breed? Yeah. <laughs> which is a strange thing. It's that kind of pub, Chris. Yeah, but it shouldn't be that kind of film. <laughs> All I kept thinking was, Mad Martigan as Hilda, the the female character he's impersonating, he's put on fake boobs and makeup and a dress mm. and a scarf around his head. Mm. Making fake boobs probably takes I at least I don't know a minute, two minutes. It would have been quicker for him to just leave. Yeah, but she might be a slag and have those um, boobs ready f- for any time a bloke's there. <laughs> Just to throw this on. This might be regular. Yeah, that's true. This, this, this is how I do it. Uh, they make quite a swashbuckling um, escape here in a cart. That uh, The scene's got very Indiana Jones vibes to it. Yeah. I like the I like the stunts on the horse. Yeah, it was fun. Warwick's pointing out one scene. Val Kilmer's on the back of the truck holding on with his legs trailing behind. And yeah. he said, those aren't his legs. No. He's kneeling on the back of the truck and that's a stuntman's legs just going... Bobbing along. Yeah. Um, But um, they escape. Mad Martigan refuses the call, uh, but only briefly, as turns Mm. out they're all going the same direction. Great handy. So it feels like the writers aren't trying that hard here. Like He's got to refuse the call. Let's have him do it for 10 seconds, but then change his mind just because they're going the same way. Yeah. Um, uh, Willow finds the sorceress. She's a possum. It's brilliant. I love that possum. (laughs) I love her. She's just great. And also the possum. But again, I'm having a bit of a weird week because I've got these baby rabbits. Yes. And then I've been very clear that I don't want any more children. And I'm certain about that. But then I got these rabbits and something has just shifted inside me a bit where my reaction to them is very maternal. Like You want to have a rabbit? No. I don't think you can. I think they might be my babies. Ah, uh, okay. I'm really, really stressed about them. As in, I need to protect them at all costs and we'll do all of that. And then I saw the baby in this and I was a mess. I was just like, that is, fuck me, that is a cute baby. And then I saw the possum and I was like, I love the possum. And I was like, what? This is not me. What is happening? So this it's isn't just good. No. It's and just I need a funny to warn week. you now, one of them, probably Ted, will be eaten by a fox. Oh, God, don't. <laughs> just no, deal with the grief now because it's coming. <laughs> it just can't. It, it just, it'll just happen. I just, will the, will the kids be bothered? If the children can't be bothered, I can, I can woman up about it and um, be strong, but. If, yeah, if they'll they're be up, sad. They'll be a little bit sad because oh it's because it's quite a violent death. Yeah. And so there's blood and guts all over the shed. Uh, not that I've 
I haven't told you though. I, we've bought <laughs> we've bought a thing that sprays water of anything that walks past the perimeter of it. Okay. So it's to scare off the foxes. Okay. But Good the luck. trouble is, we've got a cat, and now the cat hates us because right. when she goes into the garden, she gets sprayed quite hard <laughs> with cold uh, water. The cat will like it in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon. <laughs> I guess. Uh, I'm going to tell you about a mystery now. Go on. A mystery that was raging on the internet for decades. Nice. Okay. It's the mystery of the third acorn. Oh, wow. <laughs> Willow is given three acorns, but only uses two. Right. Uh, and I found this on the Lucasfilm website um, because in 2013, the mystery was finally uncovered uh, and sorted in a newly revealed deleted scene. So he arrives at the lake uh, where the sorceress is in exile. He encounters a boy who tells him not to travel across the lake and then disappears. Later, that boy attacks Willow's boat and transforms into a monstrous fish. And after nearly being eaten by the creature, Willow throws the acorn at the foe, turning him stone, turning, getting, knocking him straight to the bottom of the water. Um, and it was cut um, due to some issues with the visual effects. Mm. But it does leave an acorn hanging. Oh, my God. An acorn hanging. That's nice. <laughs> Cute. Um, so, Saoirse uh, takes them all hostage and heads, heads to the Queen. Um, uh, the potion transforms the possum into a crow. <laughs> Mad Martin, it's just stuff happening now. It's yeah. just stuff and it's sort of dragging it out. Mad Martigan breathes this dust of broken hearts, which makes you horny for whatever you see. Mm-hmm. And we saw that with um, one of the brownies falling in love with a cat mm-hmm. after he's taken it. Mad Martigan takes a portion, doesn't want to fuck Willow. Who's the first person he sees? <laughs> and I think that's a missed opportunity. Sure, <laughs> let's be progressive. And also, rules are rules. Yeah, I mean, if 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 you can, if you want to fuck a cat, yeah, shag a willow. Sure, uh, would have been a different film. Uh, but no, he wants to um, get naughty with Saoirse. Mm. Um, she says no a bunch of times. Even pulls a knife of him, but he, <laughs> a knife on him. Uh, he talks around. It's a weird scene. This I, um, it's weird for me because. He's so in, like, you're my moon and my stars and without you. And I think he says, I dwell in gardens. But I had to watch it a few times. I thought he said, without you, well in gardens. <laughs> and then I thought, is it just a British? <laughs> British? And I honestly thought, because I know that a lot of these things are shot in England and you'll have a lot of English cast and crew. And obviously it's an American production and they maybe don't, aren't as familiar with well in garden city as we are. But I just thought it was one of those sneaky jokes that finds its way in, which is like, without you, I'm sort of down in yeah. well in garden city. But I, I think he said, I dwell in gardens. Yes. He, yeah, he yeah, I mean, I really thought it. Yeah, he didn't. Um, <laughs> it's interesting that behind the scenes interview at the time with Val Kilmer says, um, we couldn't remember our lines in this love scene. Had to shoot it over and over again. I think it was a personality thing, but we figured it out. By getting it w- married. Yeah, well, it was like they weren't getting on, I think, at this point. But it, it was maybe, you know, it was because there was there was a deeper feeling there. Yeah. But uh, so it didn't work, this scene. And then once they did get together... Um, they reshot the scene when there was proper sexual tension happening, That's handy, and, and, isn't it? and they got it. Um, but yes, uh, now we've got the sled chase because suddenly there's snow from there's out snow of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, there's laws of snow. Uh, they shot this stuff in Queensland, in New Zealand. Um, it's exciting, you it's know. Fun, yeah. yeah, a bit of a roller coaster sequence. Fly off a cliff. Um, it looks like a blast. Uh, they reach a village now, and there's some good soldiers at the village. There's some bad soldiers. They hide, they escape. It all gets a bit repetitive, Very I think, in so. terms of hiding, yeah. getting found, escaping. Losing the baby, finding the baby. Yeah. That. Um, our, the fellowship, our fellowship takes Saoirse hostage uh, and leave while the armies are fighting, and they end up in this cursed village where people are trapped in stone. And uh, the enchantress gets turned into a goat, 
And then we've got some trolls appearing on the walls. I like the trolls. So they're gymnasts in monkey suits. That's cool. all practical effects. Um, yeah, I like them. They look great. They look quite scary. Trolls are imaginary creatures. Yeah. But... I know they don't look like that. A hundred percent. So don't call them trolls. Who's that trip trapping over my bridge? Mm. It's not a hairy gymnast monkey. Yes. It's a, it's a big, old, bald man. Yes. With a warty face and quite big teeth. Yeah. Not that. Not a troll. But that is a good, I mean, in whatever, let's reimagine trolls. Fine. Fine. Give them a different name. Uh, <laughs> Willow to give these imaginary creatures <laughs> that I know what they look like. Um, <laughs> yeah. Willow turns this uh, a creature into a two-headed monster called an Eborsis. I hate that monster. Yeah, but the name is a combination <laughs> of Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel's Oh, names. give over. And Grow think, the fuck up. I think they didn't like Temple of Doom as well. Well. Whatever. I mean, just it's a it's a brutal industry, George, and you've done very well out of it. Like, oh, they, I don't know. They gave Willow two thumbs down. Because of, of the well, because of that, <laughs> probably. Uh, the dragon's head explodes. <clears throat> yes, that's good. I like. I like. No, I like the fact that the other one ends up dying because of this losing I guess, his head. Yeah, I, I think that's quite good. That. Yeah, you can't survive. Um, yeah, but. Uh, Kale, I was going to say Pauline Kale. Kale escapes with the baby and returns to the Queen, and we get Willow's all is lost moment. Yes. He has a little cry. Yeah. There was just too many of them this time. There uh, wasn't before all the other times, but this time there was. And then we're into the climax. Yeah. So uh, they shot this finale uh, in Snowdonia. Very nice. Mm, um, so they show up at uh, the Queen's Castle, um, and she laughs when she sees their numbers, and she turns some of them into pigs. Which I like. Mm, it's quite disturbing. It is disturbing. And it looks painful and good and all the rest of it. The trouble is with these, I'm a stickler for like, what are the rules of the world, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. She's had real problems finding a baby and mm. yet she's got enough magic that she can turn people into pigs. And that seems like a disconnect for me. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. It's, it's the trope of like, you useless henchman, you can't even find a baby. But she seems to be very powerful. And so why mm. she couldn't just, I don't know, go into a mind palace or some shit and find a baby, I don't know. Cause, Maybe it's because it's protected by magic or something. Yeah, and the film would be over too quickly. Well, yes, it would. She's dressed like a mummy under her clothes. She is! That's yeah. quite strange. It's cool, though. Because mm. it's like, she looks like, you know, as you sort of classic medieval evil stepmom kind of thing. And then she's maybe she's a mummy because she's like really decrepit or, and it's like holding her in. Mm. I don't know. I liked it. Yeah, I, I I felt like we almost needed more of it because you could you blink and you'd miss it. But yeah, it's an interesting detail. And the rest is quite generic. Yeah. But now we get maybe the most important moment in the film, um, which is when the enchantress goat is turned into an ostrich and then a peacock and then a tortoise <laughs> and then a tiger and then an old naked lady. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So. Industrial Light and Magic, uh, George Lucas's company, had done the first computer-generated character in Young Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Uh, the, the stained the glass night. window. Yeah, yeah. Which you guys talked about when I wasn't here. And this was the next step in the digital evolution. Um, they weren't there when they started making this film. They had to build the technology. But Cameron, uh, Cameron, um, Lucas had faith that ILM could get where they needed to go. And they invented what they called morphing. Mm. So they wanted to lose cutaways when something transforms. You know, American Wealth in London is a famous example yep. where it cuts away every time it needs to. And this is the first time they used real world, world objects and manipulated them in a computer, photo photographs of real objects. So they're combining the practical with the digital. So they integrated a real tiger at one point. Mm-hmm. They shot a real tiger and put that in the computer. You'd all, you do it all CG now, but they're blended from one to another, the, these, these pictures. 
they started working on the software in September 87. By May 1988, they had done it. They'd nailed it. And this was kind of what everyone was talking about when Willow came out, that you've never seen anything like this morphing sequence. They talk about it now looking back and they all agree we weren't there yet. We were just so close. Mm. Um, The next step was Donovan dying in Last Crusade, another Lucas production. And then the next breakthrough was The Abyss. Mm. And then they really sort of got to the end game with Terminator 2. Yeah. But this was the first step four years before that. Yeah. So it's interesting. And it is, you know, it does look dated, but it's still cool. It, you know, it's exciting. I tell you the other, the, the, I think the moment the world saw it was Michael Jackson's black and white video. That was mind blowing at the end where everyone's singing oh the lyrics God, yeah. and, and people turn into other people. And yeah, that's something yeah, that was yeah. created for Willow. I, don't, I think the... Um, the you know the progression through the animals looks good. I think that yeah. two-headed monster looks shit, but I think this looks no, good. No, fair. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Right. So we're back outside. Uh, she turns the pigs back into humans and casts a spell to protect them. There's a mention of gophers. Yeah, and I love this because so, good writing. He's yes. using his farming to win. Agreed. Like Agreed. That. Uh, yeah, he's even told Willow this is war, not agriculture but he's got a trick up his sleeve. So uh, the Enchantress and Willow approach um, the castle and give the villain an ultimatum. And then the drawbridge opens, soldiers ride out and the goodies appear from under tarpaulin in the ground, like gophers, Mm -hmm. like a scene from Caddyshack. Um, I mean, I don't buy that the Night Watchman wouldn't see or hear them digging giant holes on their doorstep. (laughs) And they've got no need to open that gate. If they don't open that gate, they're just fine. They've, They've won. They yeah. won. Go um, away. Yeah. But it becomes very Helm's Deep here. Right. Uh, you know Helm's Deep? No. Okay. Lord of the Rings reference. Uh, the Enchantress battles the Queen with fire and ice up in the tower. Cool. Two old people fighting the top of the tower. We see that again in Lord of the Rings. Yes. Uh, the battle rages outside. Um, this second unit was done by, directed by Joe Johnston. Yes. Who we've done Honey Shrunk the Kids, Jumanji and the Rocketeer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And obviously Captain America, he went on to direct. Mm. Um, a barbecue, I think, comes to life and stalks Willow, who fights it with a trident. I mean, it might not be a barbecue. I wasn't sure what it was. I don't know. It looked like a barbecue to me. Uh, he, he chucks it out of the window. Warwick Davis said that he wanted to kill someone here. He thought it should hit someone <gasps> no. on the way down. Uh, but George Lucas and Ron Howard told him, no way, Warwick. You don't get it's to not decide. Right. <laughs> it's not right for your character to no. kill anyone. Uh, a brave soldier called Arik, who I haven't mentioned before. Well, this because he's... He's almost good. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, I wondered if, you know, when we're talking about legend, it's like, it's a shame that there aren't side missions. There isn't context. There isn't whatever. And then you get all of that in Willow. You get side missions. You get a lot of context. You get a war out of nowhere. Mm. When you meet Eric or Eric, whatever he's called, and he's like, oh, this, we're, we're in the middle of a war. God damn it. Doesn't say that. And you're like, what fucking war? Like, I thought yes. this was a personal mission to return a baby. And it's about one man coming into his power and, and all the rest of it. Mm. And then the, the war is very much in this. And then when he dies, Eric is like, win this war for me. And I, I get it, but I wondered if it's it's trying to make this epic rather than personal. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that was a mistake because mm. Willow is, Warwick Davis is so good and you're so invested in him. Do you care about this? You care about the baby and you care about the evil, but having us an actual war going on feels a little bit distracting, but maybe. does it not give us what we were upset yeah, about exactly. Legend not having? Yeah, yeah. So mm. kind of it both ways. You're right. No. I don't know. You need to make up your mind, Vicky. I do. Typical woman. Um, do you know what? It's funny you should say that. I was listening to... I don't like, I don't like Gardener's Question Time because I don't like gardening, but I do listen to Gardener's Question Time quite a lot. And they had... It's 75 years old. It's the longest running panel show thing ever or something. Mm-hmm. 
and they played an excerpt from one of the shows from 1947 and it's filmed in the north and so people's northern accents is you you could struggle to tell what they're saying mm. and I should know sorry and it's, they, <laughs> <say that> again <laughs> and it's this woman saying she's asking a question she's like, hi it's Elsie from wherever Stockport and she says can you use soot on the something and I want to use soot on this but I've heard that you shouldn't and I'm not so sure what to do and blah blah blah, blah. and then the presenter pause she's asked her question and he goes well it's very typical of a woman to ask five questions when you're really supposed to be asking oh one but I'll throw it over God. and that goes unmentioned and I heard it and I was livid for Elsie from Stockport mm. but it just my blood just boiled and it's like that used to be alright mm. like he's not he's trying to make a joke he's just about very typical of a woman to do that and it's like fuck off man but yeah that's I've just it just made me think of that when you just use a little bit of casual misogyny towards me there mm. uh, that's what it triggered in me so I'm just sharing that with you we can edit this out if it's too much have you finished yet? yeah yeah <laughs> okay now <laughs> that's what happens you can't handle it. Don't don't poke the bear, Chris. What if you don't like gardening? Why are you watching Gardener's Question Time? I don't like politics, but I watch Question Time. I don't like gardening. Yeah, but that's gonna that affects you. Yeah, it does. But it also Question Time just makes me so cross. Oh yeah, that's unwatch, unwatchable. I don't um, know what I find Gardener's Question Time very soothing because I've got no, no I... idea what anyone no. is talking about. And I'm not invested in the arguments when they're like, you can never use this for this. See, I thought you were going to say like you drift off to sleep to it, like some people listen to the shipping news. No, I listen to it. Forecast. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. Okay. That's completely throwing me. Sorry. So, um, Where we're up to. Mad Martigan <laughs> uh, fights Captain Kale and stabs him in the stomach and then pulls him onto the sword, yeah. which is pretty violent. Yes. And which you didn't see in the UK version. Right. You didn't see the pull. We were not ready for this stuff in no. 1988. Um, Willow chucks an acorn at the Queen and she catches it. Yeah. Is that the extent of your powers, little one? No. <laughs> I can like, do magic. She's very the emperor. Um, so Willow plans to send her into a realm where no one can touch her and he says magic words and then the baby disappears. Cool. Which blows the Queen's she mind. She can't believe it. <laughs> she, Impossible. She gets hit by some lightning she's summoned and she ends up banishing herself effectively. Yeah. Um, but it's a great callback to the pig trick that Perfect. he did at yep. the start of the film. Good writing. Because it's weird. Warwick says on the commentary that he was supposed to levitate the baby here. This other trick that he could do, but because um, everything was so wet in the room and his clothes were wet, they couldn't get it. Couldn't do the levitation. Couldn't get it up. Okay. Just couldn't get it up. Um, and so they used the pig trick. But that it, makes much more sense. It makes much more sense, Warwick. There's a writer someone going, "Yes, I told you to use the fucking pig trick. <laughs> set up. I set off. it up two hours ago." But because of, I mean, Enchantress then uh, appears and she's got scratches all over her face. Yeah. That was cut from the fight earlier, so we don't see how she got those scratches. <laughs> uh, but we're in the postscript now. Um, Warwick, a bit like the end of Star Wars when they received their medals. Warwick receives yeah. a book. He's on his way to becoming a great, a great sorcerer. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, on the commentary Warwick said he, he was gutted he's the only one that doesn't get new clothes or a new hairdo oh bless him <laughs> um, Saoirse has the baby now she it just feels like um, Willow should have the baby yeah yeah me you know there's this whole thing about it has to be raised by tall tall people isn't it or giants or whatever they call the mm. I mean I know what you mean but I also thought and I was reaching that maybe they were si half sisters so maybe the reason why she did so she disobeys her mum so flagrantly mm. is because she understands that she might be related to this baby um, in some way or something. Mm. Do you know what I mean? 
Well, I mean, I read some weird details that apparently in this film that I didn't pick up on. So Saoirse's father is a noble-hearted king. Um, he was seduced and manipulated by Badmorda. Great. Um, uh, There's a prequel you want to see. And she took Saoirse away. Apparently, he's encased in the stone in that sequence that we saw earlier. Um, and in a deleted scene, asks Saoirse for help. Um, though she doesn't know her father, his goodness is innate within her and contributes to her redemption. Mm. Um, and at the film's conclusion, and I went back and watched the scene again to try and pick this up. At the film's conclusion, the king can be seen reunited with his daughter when they bid farewell to Willow. No. Um, no. It's, I miss that. It's, not in, it's just, it's. You can't just say stuff like that and yeah. expect people to understand that. But it's all useful stuff. Yes. For, for, for Saoirse's backstory. Someone just and, needs to say it out loud. Journey, in front yes. of her. Yeah. Give Your us, father's goodness is within us, you, child. Give us this stuff. <laughs> but um, back to Willow. He returns home, the all conquering hero, and um, he sees his wife. And I think they really sell this moment when they run into each yeah, other's of arms. Of course. It's just very sweet. And those kids are, are lovely those actors. Kids are amazing. Yeah. And that's a very happy ending. Yeah, it is. I think. The trailer for this film, which I watched the other day, said this story couldn't be told on the small screen. That isn't true because we have got this TV show coming this year. Uh, Warwick that Davis. is Peter bullshit. <laughs> we don't have a date yet, but um, I'll be reminding you uh, as and when. So you can re-listen to this show because <laughs> I'm sure you'll want to do your homework. More homework. Uh, but that's all I've got for Willow. Lovely. Okay, uh, let's do the bits and bobs. Favourite scene, Vicky? Two old witches mm. fighting just because I mean as with some so there's so many set pieces in this film and all of them more or less are good some of them are repetitive we've got two fights in a castle which I don't think we need and maybe all the set pieces are almost ruined by the length like everything is a little bit overdone for me mm -hmm. and this is almost ruined as well but you just don't get to see two older women oh, yeah. going for it like that and 100%. It's, it's good it's so refreshing. It's so unusual. You know, Marvel and DC and everyone's trying to figure out how to end their movies without having the big city war. Yeah, everything city exploded. Wide war. Yeah. yeah, and this is a great way. And it works brilliantly in Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah. It works well here. I could have done with more of it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Make it more brutal. I guess they must have done if she scratched her face. Um, yeah, I, w I would have liked more of that. And if I had had more of that, it would have been my favourite scene. But I don't have a favourite scene, really. So I'm going to go back to childhood when I did have a favourite scene. Sure. Uh, and that is the sled through the snow. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved that when I was a kid. It looked brilliant. And fun. And yeah. fun. And it was definitely my favourite bit when I was a kid. So I'm picking that, even though I now see that it's a steal from Temple of Doom. <laughs> you know, the opening sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so classic, classic Georgie Porgy. Uh, <laughs> most valuable whatever. Well, this won't come as a surprise, but it's two little babies called Ruth and Kate Greenfield <laughs> as the Laura Denham. I just can't believe how good those babies are. Mm. I'm fascinated by people that put their babies up for casting because I wonder what I wonder how it is. It does it make you feel you know, your baby, your babies are being handled by other people that you don't know on a mm. film set, which can be a dangerous place, certainly long hours and all the rest of it. How does it work? What what why do it? Like I'm not I'm not no judgment, I just but why? What draws you to it? Um, well, those were the hero babies, as they would call it in the trade. But there were quite a few babies used because they shot us all over the place. Right. So they, oh, okay. I think they were the English ones. They used different babies in New Zealand. And I believe at one point, someone working on the film let their baby be used. Yes. Which, no, that makes much more sense, I think. If you're on set already... Well, yeah, I suppose George Lucas is like, so we don't have money for a creche as such or any childcare provision. <laughs> I mean, what, you, what you could do... You get paid extra, but... I fucking hope so. <laughs> 
I just think the babies are good. Like, yes. I mean, they're super cute. They made me want to have two more babies, which I will not do. And that never you've happens. You've had three hairy babies. I've had three babies. But if I have one, I can't have one more. No, you've got two. three new babies. Oh, my fur babies. Yeah. yeah. I hate people say fur babies. Sorry, I just scour my mouth out. That is vile. Um, they are my children. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my most valuable ever is something I heard in the trailer for Three Musketeers and the trailer for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And I'd forgotten it was actually Willow's theme. And that's the music written by James Horner. Yeah. Um, who is... Uh, this is his ninth film. He's creeping up, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, Commando, Aliens, Hunter Hunter the Kids, Rocketeer, Jumanji, Deep Impact, The Grinch, um, Avatar, and now uh, Willow. Because there's only three, I think it's there's only three film score composers in <laughs> yes. in the world. So yeah. that's... four, no four. We got Goldsmith, Horner, John Williams, and uh, Hans Zimmer. That's the one. That's it. It's the that's, four, that, and that's there that's are it. only four. Yeah. Um, but well, once they've gone, silence in all films. <laughs> Back to silence. But it's quite sweet. He recorded it um, uh, with a Philharmonic Orchestra and um, little Warwick Davis went to visit him to hear the music and get his um, Alien soundtrack signed. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. Uh, and if you could change anything, what would you change? I think I'm, I've got a little bit of a problem with the way that Willow uses magic. It's mm. such an important part of the story, which is he doesn't believe in himself. You know, he picks the wrong finger and he nearly had it and he's failed before. And by the end of it, he's on his way to becoming a great Jedi. And the, he only ever tries to use magic at a point that wouldn't affect the plot, apart from when he throws the acorn. But the, when he's with the sorceress, Rizel, 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 She's like, try it. And he's like, well, we've got a spare moment by a campfire, so I'll try it. Or we'll try it, but it should be, I'm in danger and it needs to work and it doesn't work. But equally, they're just words. And so a quick fix would be, it's an incantation mm. along the lines of, I'm an awesome sorcerer and I believe in myself. And he says it at first and he doesn't believe in himself, it doesn't work. And so you get, the, you know, the actor can do the acting with the words, but they're words that make sense to us mm -hmm. so that you can go, oh, now you believe in yourself and therefore you are magic. That's it. Yep. No. I agree. I mean, I've got an issue with just the magic stuff takes up too much time early on as well. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I think they are too set in their ways when they cast Warwick Davis. I, I think they obviously wanted him from the start. George did. I mean, he planned it years in advance. So don't give him a wife and child. I mean, he's already a parent. I think you can make him a 17-year-old who learns about parenting while doing all this. Yeah. And, and that's connected to getting on with it at the beginning. I, I, I uh, the failing farm, not interested in. Mm. Um, the forming of the fellowship, they disappear straight away. They do, yeah. They don't Pointless. matter. Yeah. So just get him on the adventure as quickly as you can. He finds the baby, there's dogs chasing him, he's suddenly on the run. And then you can find about him wanting to be a sorcerer and being a bad sorcerer during the adventure. He's maybe trying to impress Mad Martigan when he's in the cage and he yeah, messes yeah. up. You can, you can get all this stuff done and lock 20 minutes off the beginning of the film Which and we're is, straight into the adventure. Yeah, what it needs. Um, so that would be my change. And that's that. Great. So I think it is time for the verdict, Vicky. Lovely. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! So I think you should go first. I'll keep it quick because I have a lot of love for Tim Curry, but I realised the depth of my soft spot for Val Kilmer this week, which mm. I'd kind of forgotten. Um, I just do very much enjoy that man. Um, and I mean, Willow has got the, the possum. I was just really taken with love that possum. And those babies have really, really affected me. So Tim Curry nearly swings it. But because of all those other elements, 
and even though the length of Willow, I know that's such a dry thing to say, but it really puts me off. Like it does. It, I, several times I wrote, "This is a slog." Yeah, mm. and it shouldn't be. It should shouldn't just be. be light and fun and all the rest of it. But anyway, uh, because of the baby and the possum and Val Kilmer, I yeah, Tim Curry's been bested unfortunately by Willow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, for me, I mean, Legend is obviously the more stylish movie. Although I did. It felt like Enya the movie. That, could that be a thing? <laughs> that's a great idea. Um, but that's about it. I think the story's too slight and the director's cut is better, but the whole thing is a bit grim and miserable and I don't really like the characters. I didn't enjoy it then. I don't enjoy the film now. Um, has my opinion of Willow changed? No, not really. Uh, <laughs> it still bores me a little bit, but... I like what it's about, that the least likely hero rising to the occasion. There's something charming about that. That message that it doesn't matter how big you are, that appeals to me personally. One little person can make a difference, as I prove week in, week out on this podcast. <laughs> You've got forward momentum, don't forget. <laughs> so um, as it has more likeable characters, stronger message, a more coherent story, I'm voting for Willow, which makes Willow our winner. Yes. But I did reach out to our MIA pal. Alex Zane, I said, if we're at a stalemate, are you voting for Legend or Willow? And he, he said, said new phone, who this? <laughs> he said, 1000% it won't be a stalemate. <laughs> Willow. <laughs> I wrote, haha, agreed. Any words to explain? And he wrote, Willow is great fun and my favourite Val Kilmer performance after Tombstone. Yeah. What about the doors? What about the doors, Alex? That's my, yeah, the doors um, for me. Um. And he adds, legend is so bad, even the great Tim Curry can't save it, which is exactly what you said. So, yeah, three for three. Willow is our winner this week. Perfect. And that's your lot. But before we go, we've got to talk about next week. That's right. Um, Vicky, your first clue was? Feeling sad. 18 months of nice weather can really change your mindset. Interesting. Thanks. We followed it up with something else on Twitter that I haven't come up with yet. (laughs) And the solution to those clues is... Next week, we will be watching Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is on Netflix, Amazon and Sky, and 500 Days of Summer, which is on Disney, Amazon and Sky. Good work, Vicky. Thanks. So, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and 500 Days of Summer. Those are two quite long titles to say. (laughs) Uh, But that really is your lot. Aside from me asking you begging you to come visit us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod and then give us a like or a review or a subscribe or just tell a friend that their life will improve immeasurably if they give us a go. Maybe starting Monday when we'll be back with eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.